You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. Welcome to Life is Unfair, the Malcolm in the Middle podcast, where we watch and talk about every episode of Malcolm in the Middle, one by one in chronological order. Today, we're talking about Malcolm's Girlfriend, which originally aired November 28th, 2001, was directed by Ken Quapis, written by Ian Bush. Hi, I'm Jake, and I didn't know having a podcast was so creepy. And I'm David, and you just have to turn off your brain. I do it all the time. True words have never been spoken. I hate you. I knew you were going to say something like that the minute I picked that line, but it just it's so funny. Uh, also, should have been the tagline for me for season two. So before we get into the episode proper, we have a community segment, which I am definitely prepared for and not pulling up right now as we speak. Yeah, Jake is never prepared for the community segment, and I would just like to say that I'm appalled. I value you, the community, so much, and it pains me that you have to get stuck with interacting with Jake, self-proclaimed villain of season three. Well, well, I never called myself the villain. I said I was being you. Yeah, and you said I was a villain, i.e. self-proclaimed villain. I'm not agreeing with the fact that I'm a villain, but... It sounds like you are. No, see, in your world, I'm a villain, and you are me, so therefore, you are the villain. Yeah? Boom. Logic. So, community segment, you say, Jake. Community segment? The the segment about the community? No, the segment about community. How is Dan Harmon? Yeah, segment about the community. That's not what it's called, Jake. by you. No. Yes. That's not true. We've got the community. No. We've got Hank of the Hill. No. We've got all kinds of shows we talk about. It's just community, Jake. Come on now. Okay, uh, well, we don't have a ton this week, but we do have some poll results. For Shittiest Kid, you chose Francis for the very minimal crime of cutting off Spangler's hand. Yeah, minimal. And yelling at Lois, you know, minor stuff. Whereas I chose Malcolm for causing long-term psychological damage to all of his fellow Krellboins. And ruining the flawless system established by Herkaby. And interestingly, the vote was split down the middle. Half of the votes were for Francis, half were for Malcolm. Because they're both shitty. And I get that for once, Internet. Like, normally I know I'm the one calling you out, but no, I get it. Malcolm and Francis are both very, very shitty here. But Francis just a little bit more so. And that he actually caused physical harm and a severe handicap to an already handicapped individual whose life is already surely difficult. And he did it without thinking. Yeah, and Malcolm caused psych- psychological trauma to already psychologically traumatized people like Dabney. Yeah. Tomato, but tomato. No, see, the difference is, is they have money for therapy. Their families are rich. It's fine. No, they're not. Dabney's is. Is it? And Lloyd. Is it? It does appear that way. I don't think so. It does. I think you're assuming that because their parents are overprotective, they're rich. No. No, that's not a that's not a that's not a parallel in my mind. I am assuming that based upon the fact that they're always the one whose parents buy them the nice fancy things that, you know, Malcolm's family could never afford. I'm not saying they're like Bill Gates rich, but they're definitely like Upper middle class at lowest. <laughs> I don't think so. I think Stevie's the only one that's there. I don't 
Mm. Like, because when, when they're making the battle bots, which is, I assume, where you're getting this information, the supplies come from Stevie's house. No, it's not just the battle bots. It's the telescope in uh, Almost Halloween. Which is also Lo- Stevie's. No, that's Lloyd's. Mm. It's Lloyd's. Made. Yeah. Meh. Steve, even so, I had a fancy telescope. Well, fuck you. And also, second of all, um, they both just talk like they're rich kids. I don't think they are. Specifically, I don't think Dabney is. I don't think we ever find out if Lloyd is, but I'm pretty sure Dabney's not. I, I think he's, like, at best, like, middle class. Well, they talk like rich kids, so... Just saying. They're just advanced, David. No. No. Yeah. Look, they're not all that advanced. If you say so. They got broken by Malcolm, and he's oh, nothing. Nice. There's a difference between, you know psychological fortitude and uh, intelligence. The word you're looking for is probably resiliency. <laughs> but we were in agreement uh, on the least shitty kid, and that we chose Dewey, who was barely in the episode, to sort of by process of elimination. Well, yeah. And overall, the internet agreed with us, uh, with Dewey getting 62.5% of the vote. Yeah, who did Josh uh, vote for? Well, 25% went to Reese, and Josh from Des Moines voted for Francis. Yeah, what? <laughs> what a monster. Eh, I mean, he didn't do anything that bad. All right, roll the next episode before I beat you. Uh, of course, we have a cold open to start off with, and this one is uh, somewhat Reese-centric. That starts with all three of the boys... Uh, looking out a window at their neighbor's house, and Reese is saying that, that he would do this uh, thing, which at this point is unclear what it is, uh, but Malcolm doesn't have the money for it. And we, we find out that uh, the sort of bet that Reese has said he would do if the money was there is that he would uh, streak across the street, ring their neighbor's doorbell, and then run back. Dewey pulls out the money to have Reese do this, uh, but before he'll give it to him, he clarifies the rules and tells him that there can be absolutely no clothes, no underwear or anything, uh, absolutely no clothes. And Reese accepts. Then he goes to the kitchen and grabs two uh, big pots, two like walks, and uses them after he strips down to cover his junk and his ass. And he uh, goes out, and Malcolm and Dewey say, Oh, wow, it looks like he outsmarted us on this one. He's actually going to do it. And Malcolm turns to Dewey and says, Did you unlock our gate? And he says, Of course I did. And they watch from the window uh, as the sounds of Reese being attacked by their neighbor's dogs ensue. That is awful. It's it's pretty bad. Uh, as a person who got attacked by dogs, not fun. I'll take your word for it. Moving on to the episode proper, we will begin with the F blot, of course. <laughs> this one is a uh, fairly concise yeah, F blot. It's pretty short, and it's. I feel like it would have gone better in a different episode, maybe. It didn't really seem to fit the episode as well. It's hilarious, though. I love it. But it starts with Francis being arrested for 
stealing donuts from a dumpster. And the sheriff is bringing him in and telling him, you know, he knows the uh, owner of the store that uh, reported him. And he's sure that after a couple days, after he cools down, he'll drop the charges. But until then, he's gonna have to stay in this, like, small town Alaskan jail. Yeah, no freegans in Alaska, Jake. That's right. Oh my god. What a weird reason to be thrown in jail. Yeah, it really is. But the sheriff, like, reassures him that it'll, he'll have, a you know, some nice homemade meals from his wife. And his wife comes over and asks if he uh, wants uh, chicken or steak. Specifically, porterhouse, Jake. True. Then, like, as the sheriff is hugging his wife, uh, the wife makes, like, first, like, kissy faces, and then, like, seductive, like, licking of her lips at the deputy, uh, who David immediately recognized. As Sheriff Carter. Yeah. Of course. Colin Ferguson as the actor. No, it's Sheriff Carter. And he's from Eureka. Like, he's going to go on to be a fe- a federal agent. He's going to be a U.S. Marshal. And then he's going to be the sheriff for the most high-tech hidden town in all of the United States. It's crazy that Eureka is also in this universe. Uh... But it explains. Look, I, it's got a lot to do with, I think, why Hal gets randomly so good at certain things like building robots and stuff. I suppose. And I mean, there there is an episode with, you know, two separate timelines. Yeah, exactly. A super Eureka thing. Fair. Alright, Eureka exists in this world. It's canon. I'm already on board for everything is in the same universe, so why not? That's right. <laughs> you were resistant to it last uh, episode. You, you said as long as only, specifically said you wanted your top ten shows to be in the same universe and nothing else. Eureka is top ten. That's crazy, Doc. No. Eureka's fine. There's no way it's in the top ten shows. It's a top ten for me. That That's insanity. No. Look, I didn't think it was top ten until I rewatched it uh, recently with the wife, and no, it really is. Uh, it removed, and I know you're going to hate me for this, it removed Angel. That's insanity. No. Angel was 10. Now it's 11. I'm going to need to see your, your <laughs> official spreadsheet to verify this. I, I, I don't believe you. We're, we're having a real Mean Girls is in the top 25 movies moments here. <laughs> I will make you a spreadsheet, Jake. Okay. With at least 100 shows you've watched. No. The minimum. Yes, that's the minimum. Jake. All got to be ranked. It's probably. Let's, 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 let's not lie. If I do that, and I go back through my entire life, the top ten are all going to be Marvel shows or DC shows. I'm a superhero nerd. I can't count them. I can't count them. Because if those exist in this ranking, nothing else does. That's fine. That means Eureka's not in your top ten shows. No, it is. It's just in my top ten non-superhero shows. Superhero shows are very disconnected and separate. Terrible. Look, anything comic book related immediately goes to the top of my must-watch. You know that. Even comics I haven't read. I'm watching through Invincible right now because it's based on a graphic novel. (laughs) I've never read it. It doesn't matter. I'm going to watch this, and then I'm probably going to go read the graphic novel because I'm a nerd for that kind of stuff. I love it. I understand. 
I'm the same way, for the most part. Although I, I wouldn't go to quite that extreme of, you know, all of my top shows would not be comic shows, but I, I do feel the need to watch all of them. Yeah, no, 100%. Or at least give all of them a chance. Yeah, some of them were awful, um, but most of them, at least seasons of them, were so good. Yeah. And yeah, no, I, but okay, look, back on track, Eureka is in this universe, and non-superhero related stuff, Eureka's top 10. I'll make the spreadsheet of non-superhero related shows, and I will prove it. It still feels like a cop-out to me, but I'll accept this. I expect this spreadsheet now, David. Oh, I'll make it. What else am I going to do at work? (laughs) I hope my boss never hears this podcast. (laughs) Fair. Uh, okay, but back to the F plot. Francis, like, clocks this flirting between uh, the, these two characters, and when we come back, they are, like, full-on making out with inside of the cell. Yeah, and he's then, got her, like, pushed up against the blinds on the window. Yes. He's so uncomfortable. And they, like, break their kiss away very dramatically. <sighs> and... From there, from there is really where they establish what this F-plot is all about, which is essentially that Francis has found himself in a soap opera. Yeah, 100%. It's like they hit like every soap opera trope, period. Yes, it's great. I love it. It's, it's amazing. And it is so short, really, when, I, when you start thinking about it. But this F-plot is phenomenal. <laughs> and it's, it's so self-aware because they know what they're doing. It's on purpose. And they even have Francis having that same sort of, like, reluctancy that I imagine all, like, daytime TV watchers have of, like, this is awful, but there's nothing else to do. And by the end of it, you know, you better not turn off my shows or I'm not going to feed you dinner. Yeah, uh, specifically, like, they, like, start talking about how they're worried that the sheriff is on to them. Then uh, the lady who's named Vanessa is uh, upset that uh, the deputy, who we find out here is named Brock, hasn't told uh, another woman about them. Cassandra, I think he, he says. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. It's, it's a very soap opera name. It is. Uh, and he says uh, it's because she's in a coma. <laughs> and then it just cuts to Francis, who's like watching all of this, and just says, A coma? <laughs> <laughs> Look, first coma arc is where you either make or break a good daytime TV. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I think any any soap opera, which yeah. includes a lot of things that I love, because comic books, especially Marvel comic books. That's fair. I don't like to think about it that way. I don't like that, but that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and you gotta have a coma arc. Someone's always in a coma. Or dead and being brought back to life. Or... Everyone thinks they're dead, and actually, they just went around the world. Yeah, lots of possibilities. Yeah. <laughs> then, uh, another prisoner is brought in uh, to the same cell as Francis, and he immediately asks, what have I missed? It doesn't even look like he's brought in. It looks like he leaves one cell and goes into Francis's cell to get, like, a line of sight. Because <laughs> he's definitely the one closing the cell. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's no there's no police officer or anything there to close the cell. Yes. Yeah, like, a, de- uh, a deputy, like, walks with him, but then, like, he locks himself in. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 
And it's very clear that he is happy to be there. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, he, he was missing his stories. Exactly. That's probably why he broke the law. Yeah. He probably did something minor, like pissed behind a bar or something. I don't know. Like They lock you up in this town for eating donuts out of the garbage. So Then it uh, cuts back to the uh, couple, and Brock is talking about pulling his sister from a car wreck, or wreckage of some kind. I assumed it was a car wreck based on what we find out later. I'm pretty sure it's a car wreck. Yeah, I, I assumed that was the car wreck that they're talking about, but re- really, who knows? <laughs> and... The, uh, Vanessa is telling him that, uh, they have the, uh, best reconstructive surgeon in the world there. Yeah, in Podunk, Alaska, let me tell you. And we find out that last year Vanessa had an affair with that doctor. Then the sheriff comes in and they, of of course, uh, Brock and Vanessa, like, uh, immediately, like, part ways very conspicuously. The sheriff comes over and starts talking to Vanessa about how the, uh, mayor is trying to... Uh, kill their plan, and <laughs> they're going to ruin his political career by sending some pictures to the paper. They're already in the mail. And, uh, but by this point, Francis is, like, fully invested <laughs> in what he is watching. <laughs> then, when we come back again for the final time, uh, the sheriff, Brock, and Vanessa are all together, and they, they have all turned on each other. Due to some mining rights. So they're trying to figure out who sold, or, uh, is it who sold or who bought the mining rights? Who bought, because yeah. whoever bought it must clearly be whoever stole the diamond brooch. Yes. And ran someone off the road. Yes. And, uh, just as they're about to do the, like, big, like, murder mystery parlor reveal of who did all of these things... Uh, another deputy who we haven't seen before comes over and unlocks, uh, the cell and tells Francis it's time for him to go. No, we've seen him before. It's the guy who locks Francis oh, in yeah. the very start. It's the- No, o- no. Uh, uh, the, uh, Eureka deputy locks Francis in. Uh, he well, does he, lead the other guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the, it's the deputy who, uh, I guess technically not who locks Francis in, but it's the dude who's explaining about the donut. No, that's the sheriff. They look so similar. He's just got a bigger face. Okay, I just thought it was because he was on a close-up that it looked... Jesus. No, no, two different guys. All right, fair. <laughs> but uh, as he, like, leads Francis out of the cell, Francis is saying, no way, let me wait five minutes. And he's basically dragged out of the police department, like, yelling his theories, <laughs> trying to get some closure on, on this uh, story. And they're all looking at him like, what is he talking about? Yes. <laughs> so they are all very unaware that they're in a soap opera. Yes. This is all very normal to them. I believe it. And that's where the F-plot ends. Simple as that. Nice, yep. tidy, clean, and I love it. It's so funny to watch it play out, too, because it's so... Like, the acting is is very obvious. You know, it, it's obvious that they're poking fun at soap operas, and I love it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But let's move from there to the D plot, the Dewey plot, uh, which begins at the dinner table with Hal talking about his uh, day at work. He's talking about how he was looking at this form uh, and he was uh, really confused and it didn't make any sense. And then he realized his coworker filled out the wrong form 
I think it was like a 385, and they needed a 383 or something like that. I, no, I was thinking it was a 406 and a 408, but I don't know. I don't think it's... No, it's definitely a 30-something. But it might be a 438 and a 435. That sounds right. But the, he, like, uh, halfway through this, like, gets a, re- a look of realization on his face and, and says, This isn't very interesting, is it? And then he, like, doubles back and goes, no, it is. I just need to explain what these forms are. Yeah. Uh. Uh, then, desperate to get away from this conversation, Lois turns to Dewey and asks how his day was. And he says he made a new friend named Ronnie. And uh, Ronnie is rich. He has a Nintendo, a PlayStation, and a nanny. And immediately, Hal, like, leans over to the empty seat next to, uh, Dewey, and says, nice to meet you, Ronnie. And, like, pretends to ruffle the hair of this invisible boy. Yeah, so Dewey says, no, Ronnie's real. And then, uh, Lois, uh, also doesn't believe that Ronnie is real. Uh, and she's like... Uh, when Dewey's saying, you know, I can make real friends, Lois says, of course you can, but, you know, it's okay that some kids take a little longer to do that than other kids. Oh, poor <laughs> Dewey. <laughs> Although, to be fair, we haven't really seen him with any real friends that last yeah. yet. As, as well, yeah, and no friends like his own age. Right, because you see him, like, you know, he makes friends with B. Arthur and yeah. all that. And then he's got the one kid who follows him around. Egg? Egg, yeah. Um, But they're all just one-offs, you know? It's, it's a little sad. <laughs> I feel bad for Dewey. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Malcolm, that's kind of... Well, that's the case for Reese as well, that he doesn't have any friends. Right. Which they've called attention to before. But Dewey is very offended that none of them uh, believe that he can make a real friend. Then there's a knock at the door as some A-plot stuff happens. And Dewey goes to answer it. And it is his friend Ronnie who he, like, brings in (laughs) to show them that he's real. See? He's real. And then he pinches him. Yes. (laughs) I love that. Then they go off to play. Uh, Then the next time we see Dewey, he is at Ronnie's house. And uh, they're in Ronnie's room where they're still, like, unpacking. A lot of his stuff is still, like, in boxes. And Dewey pulls out some uh, toy cowboys and asks Ronnie if he wants to play cowboys. But he says no, he doesn't like that. And he tells Dewey he, he can have the toys. And Dewey immediately says, no take backs. And then sticks him in his backpack. Yep. <laughs> God. I, you know, small tangent. I promise. I'll keep it. I'll keep it short. I promise. I once got blamed <laughs> for stealing stuff when we were kids because of an exact, like, thing like this. It wasn't quite exactly like this. Like, he didn't say, yeah, have that toy. Uh, and then I, I took it home or anything. But I remember, like, all of us had weird-ass toys that were collectibles that people let us play with for whatever reason, because our parents were insane. I had Star Wars toys that could have made thousands of dollars that they let me play with, because they're nuts. But anyways, uh, (laughs) there was like that, it was like this collectible Venom figurine, and Ryan left it at the house, because it 
fell into the couch and his mom went nuts and he went nuts and everybody accused me of stealing it. And my only thought was, why the fuck would I put it in the couch? Like, I like to play with that. If I were going to take it, it'd be in my room. (laughs) Yeah, it was found in our couch. Kids do this stuff all the time. It's insane. And I, the minute Dewey, like, immediately was like, no take backsies. I don't know why, but that story popped into my head as we're watching this episode. Fair. Yeah. Makes sense. But then Ronnie's mom comes into the room and she, like, sends Ronnie away to uh, load the dishwasher for her. Then she talks to Dewey about how uh, Ronnie's birthday is coming up. And, you know, he doesn't have very many friends here, so she wants his help while planning the birthday party. And she says she's going to invite their whole class. Dewey says, all 30 kids? She says, yeah, of course. Isn't that what you do for your birthdays? Well, sort of. As we get an excellent montage of all of Dewey's ruined birthdays. Yes, which will be a recurring plot point that uh, Dewey's never had a good birthday. I think, actually, I've seen, I, I know I have. I think I've seen the episode you're referring to where it, like, really comes to a head with Dewey. Okay. And I, I, I'm waiting to get there, but I know it's it's so long down the road. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a ways. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, it's one of the, like, three episodes I've seen and the only one that I remember, like, well. Gotcha. But the first of these... It's uh, Dewey and a couple other kids and, you know, his family all sitting at a table with, like, birthday hats on, but all looking, like, very bored and, like, like they're waiting. Then Hal walks up with a, uh, uh, a golf bag and he says, oh, what are we celebrating? <laughs> and the second one is just, like, a from Dewey's point of view as Malcolm and Reese are, like, standing over him, punching him for uh, presumably the number of, you know... Years. Well, I like birthday spankings, but punches instead. Then the last one is Francis and Lois screaming at each other, as they often do. We, we see, you know, Francis's uh, greasy long hair again. We've, we've seen in previous flashbacks. Uh, and it's just Dewey sitting alone at the table with the cake, looking sad. Poor Dewey. Yes. Uh, I mean, yes, poor Dewey. But also, Dewey's kind of a monster this episode. Meh. Wow. But, I'm uh, surprised you're not defending him. I would never defend, uh, you know, someone doing unethical bad things. Oh, really? Yeah. I only defend, you know, the righteous, great uh, pillars of the community. Look, you need to stop. Like my keep... employer, Herkaby. Shut up and keep going. You're <laughs> you're awful. <laughs> but Ronnie's mom tells Dewey that she's thinking about a Star Wars theme for the birthday. And Dewey says, no, he wouldn't like that. He wants cowboys. And she goes along with it, trusting, uh, you know, Ronnie's friends to, to know better what he's into. She's an upper middle class single mom. Yeah, it's honestly, it's not a bad, you know, plan from her. Just, you know, maybe if she knew a little more about the Wilkerson's beforehand, she'd maybe rethink this. I mean, yeah, probably. But also, if she knew a little bit about the Wilkerson's beforehand, she probably wouldn't let Dewey hang out with her son. Fair. <laughs> they would be the family who are, like, off limits, you know? Yeah. We all had one of those growing up, right? No? Just me? Okay. Yeah, no, I, th- I think most people have that. I just realized my parents were frequently like, 
I don't like that kid. I think he's a bad influence. And then they would never say anything else. They were super insistent about, like, meeting the parents before I went inside someone's home, which a lot of good that did yeah yeah i I mean i feel like for that that's usually like the at least for like growing up for me that was much more the thing of like there there were like i was never like forbidden to be friends with a kid but there were definitely friends where it was like yeah you can't go to their house though right yeah (laughs) there were friends they should have forbidden me to go to their house one of them was yours not (laughs) fair yeah I mean, look, someone had to beat some personality into you. Wow. I just wish you weren't so literal there. But the next time we come uh, to the Dewey plot line, he is uh, coming in to uh, talk to Ronnie's mom because the uh, nanny didn't make his smoothie right. <laughs> he needs a new smoothie. She, she says, of course, she'll take care of for him. And then... She gives him, like, an update on the party. She says she found a, uh, like, actor to be a uh, cowboy. Uh, he's going to give out, you know, cowboy hats and all this stuff. And Dewey asks if he can do trick shooting. And she says, I, I don't know, but if he can't, we'll find someone who can. And Ronnie would really like a moon bounce. Yes. Then we uh, see Dewey at school passing out invitations to Ronnie's birthday. Which are like little cowboy hat-shaped invitations. And we see him trading one of the invitations for something with one of the kids. And then he's like holding up the last two invitations. And say, yeah, there's only two left. Ronnie's got a a bounce castle and a uh, self-serve Sunday bar. Who wants them? And one of the kids says, I'll go. And Dewey says, we'll see. And he asks him what he would get Ronnie for his birthday. And he says, a skateboard. And Dewey says he can come and gives him an invitation. One of the other kids says, wait, Ronnie already has a new skateboard. And Dewey just says, you let me worry about Ronnie. Ah, uh, yes. The Reese spirit has taken over. Yes, this is very Reese-esque behavior from Dewey. Yeah, but with a lot of Malcolm involved. True. He's got the brain. This isn't a brute force attack. No. He didn't make anyone sick to get this. Yes, this is like the... Cruelty of Reese mixed with the cunning of Malcolm. And it's terrifying. Yes. And I love it. I'm here for it all day. It's so good. It is very good. (laughs) Then we get to the party itself, which we see Ronnie sitting with his mom looking very bored with his little cowboy hat on with all this cowboy stuff around him. She's asking him how he likes his birthday and he's doing the like little kid, you know, saying it's great. Well, very clearly not enjoying it. Yeah, you can tell he's like, honestly, Ronnie, good kid. Ronnie, best kid. He's not having fun at this party. It sucks. But instead of throwing a temper tantrum or bitching like a Wilkerson, (laughs) he realizes the sacrifices his mom makes and he thanks her for it anyways and goes along with it like a good kid. Yes. And then uh, when he thanks his mom, she says, you know, you should really thank Dewey. Yeah, he helped me a lot with these ideas. <laughs> and he gets a look of realization on his face. And he goes over to Dewey and says, you ruined my birthday. And Dewey just like with no emotion looks at him and says, I've had two Sundays and four snow cones. Yep. And that's a uh, look that that's. That's Dewey. Yep. <laughs> I feel like we can't talk about the very last part of it. until Yeah, we... we'll, we'll cover the end with the A-plot as they sort of come together at the end. Yeah. But the A-plot 
starts with Stevie talking about physics. About the universe, Jake. Yes. Uh, and it, like, slowly zooms out to show Malcolm is, like, sitting next to him, but staring, like, pointedly off in the distance, not listening. And when Stevie calls him out on this, Malcolm says, you know, he's distracted because he's looking at that girl, Sarah, and he talks about how beautiful she is, and you know, how when you look at her, you can't even see anyone else around. And then they just cut to, like, the a group of kids in, like, a very, like, objective way. Like, sort of the opposite of what you would usually do with, like, this sort of of, like romanticized thing yeah so instead of instead of like the like the clearing of the crowd to see like the the object of of his desire you see the like zoom in of the camera and it's just a crowd of people like all you can see is people walking through and past and it's so good i such a good choice i love it and it, it, it's just such a clever little like visual joke like like just completely contradicting what malcolm had just said it's so good it's so great i love it and it sets the tone for the rest of the a plot yes oh my god i love it so much and stevie immediately you know, he says malcolm does this every day he should just go and talk to her go and ask her out and malcolm says you know you can't just do that uh and, you know it, it would never work for him she's you know uh, smart and attractive and it would just never work and it would, you know it would make him happy if they were together so it can't happen <laughs> and uh stevie <laughs> Yeah, because he's destined to be the most miserable person in the universe. Yeah. Which he says to Stevie. Yeah, <laughs> immediately says, Boo, <laughs> like, takes a puff of his inhaler and says, Who? <laughs> good for you, Stevie. Good for I love the Stevie clapbacks. They're so good. They are. Stevie's great. Then uh, one of Sarah's friends comes over and uh, wants to know if Malcolm likes Sarah. Like, Malcolm is too flustered to answer, but Stevie immediately says yes, and she says, oh, she likes Malcolm too, and walks away. And Malcolm is flabbergasted. Yes. Cut to Malcolm and Sarah walking home together, holding hands. Malcolm is talking about how great it was when they went and drank some water, and then talked, and then drank some more water, and they should do that again. Yeah, I... Uh... Not even I was this boring. My God, Malcolm. I'm a boring person. Kinda. Not personality-wise, but especially, like, I, I get the whole, like, oh my God, I have a girlfriend. Like, I had that inside, but I never, like, I don't know, even my first couple girlfriends, there was, there was only ever one girl that I dated that we were this boring. And that didn't last very long. That lasted, like, less than a month. Yeah, fair. Even at his age, oh, I just, uh Yeah, no, that, this is not a relatable Malcolm for me. Yeah. It's just so weird. But I do, I will say, I do like it. Like, it's, it's, I understand it because it's kind of the trope and, and it's a good way of sort of, I guess, showing all of that teenage angst and anxiety and everything else, especially coming from people who I imagine hadn't been there in a very long time who were writing this. Right. It's, it's, it's over the top, but I feel like it's deliberately over over the top, obviously. Yeah, and, and I mean, the only thing that really feels over the top is the ending of it. Like, the, the rest of this, I feel like I knew kids that were like this. Really? Especially, like, especially, like, in middle school, which is Malcolm's age, absolutely. Right, no, I know he's in middle school, though nearing the end of middle school. Yes. Um, but I I don't know that I knew anyone who was like this. I may... Oh, no, never mind, never mind, yeah. I can think of a couple examples now thinking back. No, I did know some people who were this lame because you just stopped hanging out with them. 
It was very much a uh I I was Stevie Lloyd and Dabney in this scenario. Yeah, yeah. But no, yeah, absolutely. I I was never that bad though. Yeah, yeah, me neither. But like like not nothing even close to this. No, like we always my girlfriends and I like we always hung out, but like we always hung out with people. Like, except for in times where we wouldn't be hanging out with, like, I never stopped hanging out with my friends because I had my girlfriend. Right. She just was added to the crew. Yeah, fair. And admittedly, I have a very small sample size from, like, especially, like, that that age group. So. Right. <laughs> but I, I do like the way they do this. And uh, the end of this little scene is interesting. Uh, yes. As, uh, like, as, as they're walking, Malcolm is talking to her, and then he turns and talks to camera about, you know... How, how exciting it is that he has a girlfriend for the first time. And then, and then he says, and I can do this anytime I want. And, and he like kisses her. Then he says, this is the worst part of the day where they have to split up so that she doesn't meet his family. Now that very relatable. Oh, 100%. Yeah. No, you don't, you don't bring, you don't bring people around our family unless you're really serious. Yes. I, I have told my family they are not invited if I, if I ever get married they're not invited to the wedding yeah no, that, that makes sense and you might want to employ bodyguards to keep them out yes um yeah my god look i won't say destroyed but we really messed with my little sister's boyfriend's car that he'd just gotten as a graduation gift when she decided to bring him around our family for the first time and that was tame we talked about doing way worse, but they were like rich white, like call the cops white, <laughs> like, yeah. And, you know, his mom was friends with my mom, so she didn't want him getting mad. We wanted to take the wheels off and we were going to do it. Yeah, and it, like, uh, not not even from like that side of things. I, I just feel, feel like I'm a very private person, like especially with like romantic stuff. And would just prefer that my family never know anything. I mean, that's fair. I I know the things your dad says. Getting back to the episode. When, when they're getting ready to part ways so that she doesn't meet his family. Uh, he tells her that she's a good kisser and she says thanks and leaves. The uh, Han Solo approach. Uh, which, uh, as she leaves, like, Malcolm immediately starts spiraling out because she didn't return the compliment. I have nothing. I was thinking, I have trivia about this scene, but we well, can bring all that up. At the end of this plot line, I guess. Uh, is your trivia about the uh, neck brace? Yes. I've posited a theory. Yeah? Yes. But I'm not sure. I might want to do a Google search real quick before I say it. Okay. I will say, but when you were in the bathroom, I went back and looked again. I'm no longer 100% certain that's a neck. It could. Here's, here's why. It looks like it might just be a very thick turtleneck because, like, the color, like, matches her shirt. But it doesn't down on the collarbone. That's what sold me. Because it looks like it comes down the side of her neck and onto, it looks like an old school neck brace. It may, but looking at it close, I, I, I see, can see it going either way. But there's another interesting thing that they do with, and I, I, obviously you noticed, you had to have noticed that. I'm curious why, so. Uh, that they never show her face? Uh-huh. I, di I didn't want to, I didn't know if I was going to ruin your plans with bringing it up now. Nah. I'm looking up something real quick. Uh, and this is a actress who's kind of in another show that we both really like in sort of a weird similar way to this okay so i wasn't able to find what i was looking for um i was trying to see if there was a reason that they didn't show her face 
I, I couldn't find it. I'm sure there had to be one. I mean, not necessarily. It's a common sitcom trope, the character that you never see, going back to, like, Cheers. Right, but that's what I mean. Like, I couldn't even find, like, anything saying that, like, that was a, a choice made intentionally or anything. Like, it's gotta be. You would think, but I was I was just looking to see if I could find out if there was like a reason, right? If like she was wearing a neck brace, that one. right? Yeah, or even if it was like uh, find an article about it being an artistic choice, and then I could rule out that theory. But that was that was my theory as to why they didn't show the the face. Is I wondered if you know an accident happened after casting or something, and and they just went ahead with it and just didn't show the face or the neck brace because they don't show her from an angle that would show the neck brace. Right, and it's only ever that one little sequence where you can see it, because the other time where you would be able to see it, she's covered very, very well in shadow. Right, uh, excellent lighting. But yeah, so it's it's interesting to me. But I couldn't find anything. Maybe something's out there. Maybe the community can find it. But interestingly, this actress is in Arrested Development. She plays Anne, but only in the first episode that Anne appears. And in very similar, like, style, you barely see Anne in that episode. And then, like, they recast her for, for like, the rest of her appearance. It's a different actress. It's very weird. Who's Anne again? <laughs> I know you legitimately don't remember, and that's perfect. Because <laughs> it's George Michael's, like, girlfriend that they keep, like... I haven't seen Arrested Development in so long, and... So many other things stick out to me from that show. Right. Oh, that's that's amazing. And that is great that I forgot her. Yeah. Oh, my God. I had to, like, gauge your expression for a second to figure out if you were doing the bit from Arrested Development or if you legitimately forgot. It's so much better that you legitimately forgot. Yeah. No, I forgot Anne. But the next thing that happens in this plot line is uh, we, we then go to that dinner that we were already talking about. It starts with Hal's work story, the Dewey stuff. Then Reese uh, starts taking his fork and, like, stabbing it through the inside of his shirt. Making new holes. Yes. And when Lois starts to yell at him for this, he immediately says, Malcolm has a girlfriend, in order to, you know, turn her rage away from him and towards Malcolm. Yes, he even moments later says, dang, I meant to save that for report card day. Yes. He knew what he was doing. Yes, he, he had a plan. I mean, look, it's smart. And then he panicked, and the plan fell apart. Most plans do, Jake. Most plans do. But, of course, Lois, upon hearing that Malcolm has a girlfriend, immediately starts yelling that he is not allowed to have a girlfriend. He's not old enough. He won't be able to uh, focus on his studies like he should. You know, he'll be too distracted with this girl. And Malcolm starts yelling back at her that this isn't any of her business. It's not any of any of their business. And this is why I didn't want to tell anyone. And yep. blah, 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 blah. And shut up, Malcolm. <laughs> but also, I get it. Yeah, yeah. He's just so whiny. True. But Lois's reaction is insane. Yes. I, I'm with Malcolm... In theory here, though I, I agree with you that his delivery is a little uh, too dramatic. <laughs> right? Of course, I mean, looking at the way he screams at the sky and, and the rest of what's about to come, I mean, he's just a drama queen. Yeah. Which explains why he bitches all the time. True. Yeah. But no, Lois is, 
You won't go to college if you have a girlfriend. I'm sorry, what? Does she just assume that Malcolm's going to knock this chick up at 11 and, like, it's insane to me. Oh, uh, yeah. Lois definitely overreacts to this. Yeah. And Hal, like, tries to back Lois up, but he does a very poor job of it. Because he, you know, tried to go along with Lois as your too young line. Says, you know, I waited until I was 11 to kiss my first girl. And then, like, gets a look of realization on his face and goes, wait, how old are you? (laughs) He realizes, you know, Malcolm is older than that. (laughs) And then immediately, like, without Malcolm even saying anything, it, like, starts defending his point, being like, well, it was a different time. Yeah. Then Malcolm storms off, and that's where uh, the, the scene ends. Then, when we come back, Lois is coming in to uh, confront Malcolm, presumably, you know, days later, because Malcolm's grades have been slipping. He got a C on his last few assignments, and he hasn't even turned in his history paper. And Malcolm says, you know, uh, well, when she brings up the girlfriend issue, he says it has nothing to do with that. He just forgot, uh, and he's doing it now. Then when Lois leaves the room, he, of course, pulls the phone up, and he's, of course, talking to Sarah. <laughs> he gets, I think, an unintentionally disturbing conversation here. I th- I think so, but yeah, I immediately was like, I, you're a creep, Malcolm. Yeah, I, I feel like this was meant to be, like, Malcolm not understanding, like, the asking what they're wearing, like, trope, because he's asking, like, uh what socks she's wearing, but it just kind of comes off like Malcolm has a foot fetish. <laughs> it does. Which, I mean, I guess, no kink shaming, but it's just, it's weird because you don't get, like, a montage or anything that shows, like, a massive progression of time, so it feels like, okay, second time we've talked on the phone, what are you wearing? What's on your feet? What kind of shoes do you have? I love your shoes. Like, Malcolm! God, stop! Yeah. <laughs> it's just weird. And then he also, like, starts to do uh, the, uh, you know, you hang up first thing, but they only get through one iteration and then she hangs up. Yeah, she's definitely not nearly as infatuated as Malcolm is. Yeah, there's there's a solid uh, implication of disinterest. She just needs someone to make out with. Then we go to Lois and Hal in their bedroom. They're laying in bed, uh, talking about the uh, Malcolm issue. The Malcolm conundrum. Lois says it's Hal's fault because he bought Malcolm uh, acne medicine. He's still goofy looking. It's so mean, but it's funny. Lois says she didn't think that they would have to worry about this with Malcolm because he's in uh, genius classes. Girls shouldn't be interested in him. Until he's 28 and a billionaire. Yes. Oh, man. Hal says it, you know, Malcolm can't help it. It's genetic. But I don't have to tell you that. You deal with it all every day. God, I love that conversation. I love Hal and Lois, man. Yeah, so then their their conversation, uh, like, ends with uh, them, like, fantasizing about, you know, once the boys are older and have families of their own, they won't be invited to their house. They'll just be in this big, empty house alone. And, you know, all their money will be in the bank, not helping anyone. (laughs) And that's their romantic fantasy for the future. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. Then, the next day at school, Malcolm is looking for Sarah. She is late. It's 2 p.m., which is when they meet up every day. And uh, when the other Krellboins ask, "Uh, did, did you make plans to meet up at 2? He says, no, but it's implied. 
It's what we always do. Malcolm, like, runs through their very specific, very regimented routine that they've established. Which is where my intro line comes from, is Dabney says, Wow, I didn't realize having a girlfriend was so creepy. Yeah, no, it's not. Just Malcolm. Yes. But Malcolm insists that, you know, no, this is just how uh, having a girlfriend is. This is what dating is. And uh, when they're dating someone, they can talk. And he goes off to wait outside of the uh, restrooms to wait for her. So creepy. Yes. God, Malcolm, you're such a little creep. Then Malcolm and Sarah are in Malcolm's backyard kissing. Malcolm turns to camera afterwards and says that uh, all they've been doing is that they'll fight and then they make out and then they fight and then they make out, but he feels like they've gotten past that. (laughs) They've really sorted things out now. And he, like, you know, very calmly says all this to camera, and then, like, as soon as it, like, you know, ends his uh, talking to camera portion, you know, he turns to her, he immediately, like, starts yelling at her, uh, asking if there's another guy. Ah, yes, the insecurity portion of the relationship. Yes. Then. Uh, she, like, storms off uh, and says, you know, they, they've been uh, kissing for two hours. Uh, she's going home. I remember those days. Like, it was the thing in middle school, man. Like, and you didn't know where to go from there, so you just kept doing that. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, I suppose. Again, a very small sample size. <laughs> Look, I started young and then also kind of small sample size because then I met my now wife. Fair. There were, like, four before. But then, uh, as she's walking away, the, uh, camera uh, goes up to reveal that Reese is, like, laying on the roof watching them, and he immediately starts making fun of Malcolm. In a very Reese manner. Yes. God. And when Malcolm is, like, creeped out that Reese was watching them, he reassures them he won't do it again. Yeah, they're boring. Then he tells Malcolm that he needs to stop thinking so much, he needs to just turn his brain off. Yeah, hence my intro line. Yes, and Malcolm says, you can't just turn your brain off. And Reese says, yeah, you can. I do it all the time. And then proceeds to do it. Yes, he demonstrates this. He goes like slack-jawed and just stares off into space. And Malcolm, like, continues talking to him. And Reese just, like, continues staring off until Malcolm finally says his name. And then Reese, like, snaps to and asks, how long was I out? (laughs) God. Then... Uh, we once again go to the school where Malcolm is asking the Krell boys for an assignment. He, you know, clearly didn't do it. And they are all upset with him because he blew them off last night. Now he was supposed to come over and watch the sci-fi channel with them. Yeah, some sci-fi show that they made up. It's like 1999 space something or other. Yeah. They made him a tunic and a badge. Yes. Uh, but Dabney gave it to uh, his mom's boyfriend. <laughs> Uh, but they are all upset with him for not showing up to this thing, and he, like, starts to, uh, say that, you know, he couldn't because he was on the phone with Sarah, and then he, like, cuts himself off and and says, uh, yeah, I'm just sorry. And he, like, sits down and he starts to talk to them about how he knows he has these issues, but he feels like he, you know, sorted through them last night with Sarah, and you know, things are going to be uh, back to normal now. And, like, as he's saying this, he's getting distracted. As behind the Krell boy, and Sarah is talking to another boy. But Malcolm, like, uh, at the end of his little speech, like, gets up, and, and he walks behind them, and then uh, 
We, we get a scene where it's, uh, the Vilkas is still on the Kralboids as they're, like, discussing whether or not to kick Malcolm out of their group, which they decide not to. Because he really seems sorry. Yeah, and how could you look in his eyes and not just do whatever he says? <laughs> this is, so, some more, uh, Lloyd and Dabney seem very, uh, into Malcolm. Yeah. But as this is going on, as they're having this conversation amongst themselves, uh, behind them, Malcolm runs over, tackles the guy Sarah was talking to, is just, like, pounding on him. A teacher comes over and pulls Malcolm off. Malcolm shoves that teacher away and resumes hitting him. Yeah, it was, it was grade A high school MMA wannabe fight. I loved it. Malcolm fights like a kid two years older than him. I love it. I love it. And it's so funny because he's always so wimpy in, like, fight situations, you know, because that's who his character is with, like, other bullies and other kids and stuff. But this... Yeah. I mean, he also, you know, uh, beat up that eight-year-old season one. That was a big eight-year-old. Yeah. But yes, he beat up an eight-year-old. You're right. He now has foreign exchange student who wanted to leave his country because of fights like that, according to Lois, which I think is definitely not true, and an eight-year-old. That's his victory. He's got a pretty good record. That's not a good record. Uh, but yes, we, we then go to Lois bringing Malcolm home from school and yelling at him about this fight that he was in. And we, we get that information that Dave already shared, that this was a foreign exchange student, and she tells him, you know, he's on uh, probation with the school. If he uh, has any other issues, they're going to kick him out. And she's like, you know, hammering home that, you know, he's having all of these issues because of this girl. And then Malcolm uh, yells back and essentially repeats all of her points. Uh, he, he, like, goes through, like... The, almost even the exact same phrase, you know, he, ha- he has bigger problems. Mm-hmm. Like, he's on probation <laughs> with the school, and if he gets into trouble, he could be kicked out. And he's been messing up a lot. Yep. And Lois doesn't even seem to care that he marches off. Then, back at the school once again, Malcolm is leaving the Kralboin class. He says he hasn't understood a thing that he heard in the last six hours. He hasn't been sleeping, hasn't been able to focus on anything. He just seems completely miserable, and he says he knows what he has to do. He goes and he tells Sarah we we need to talk, and he goes through it, and he says he he realizes he has these, you know, control and anger issues that are coming out because of this relationship, and it doesn't seem like like it's healthy, and it doesn't seem like it's working, which is why he bought her a pager. Because that way, he'll always know where she is, and they won't have any of these problems. Yeah, so uh, Malcolm grows up to be a stalker, right? Like, that's that's where this is going. Because that's, that's, God, that's either super stalker or, like, abusive husband territory right there. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he, you know, grows out of these things. I wouldn't know. But, uh, yeah, it is definitely, uh... Not, not a good look for Malcolm. And Sarah says uh, she's going to break up with him. <laughs> good. He's a creep. Yeah. You need to learn how to not be a creep, Malcolm. Absolutely. How? Come on now. Help this boy out. I mean, it is the Wilkerson curse, David. It is. God. Uh. It takes many forms, as we've seen. It sure does. Uh. But uh, Ma- Malcolm's version definitely seems uh, m- much more potentially harmful to other people than, like, Francis is, which mostly just seems self-destroying. Yeah, Francis is self-destructive. Malcolm is destructive to other people. Reese is destructive to everyone. Yes. 
I feel like Reese is just a tornado of disaster. Our last bastion of hope is Dewey. Exactly. That's why I'm on Team Dewey. Fair enough, I suppose. Also because he's a perfect angel. Well, is he though? We'll get to that. But then as she like walks away from Malcolm, he uh, starts yelling out in very dramatic fashion, gave her his soul. His soul. Yeah, it's a whole monologue speech that I don't remember the whole words to, but it is wow. (laughs) Yes, and he literally, like, falls to his knees. I also do love come back because I don't have any of the hate or... He he names off two things and then, like, immediately transitions into, I hate you. No, I don't. I love you. God, so toxic. Yes. And, like, uh, it ends... With uh, everyone on the playground, like, circling around him, watching as he collapses to the ground. And then one of the students just, like, takes their coat off and puts it over him like he's a dead body. Well, he's dead inside, Jake. True. Which we see in the next scene, which is at the birthday party. Malcolm is sitting with Hal, like, holding onto his arm very tightly and not letting Hal go. And Hal is, like, trying to talk to him, but Malcolm is just completely despondent, staring off into space uh, with, like, red rings around his eyes from where, where he's... You know, very clearly been crying. Hal finally, like, unlatches from him and tells me, you know, this is just part of growing up. You, you can't go back to childhood. Malcolm looks over at the bouncy castle and says, but I can. <laughs> yeah, you just have to physically go back. He goes to the bouncy castle, uh, which Dewey is in, and Dewey, like, immediately tries to get rid of him. He tells Malcolm he's too big, he can't be in here. But Malcolm says he's going to play. And he jumps up, and it goes into slow motion, and the Sesame Street song starts playing. And he, of course, uh, when he he lands, it causes the uh, bouncy house to explode, (laughs) trapping all the children inside. And uh, a cowboy on stilts, like, because of the explosion, falls over onto the cake, and it's, you know, complete chaos. Yes, there is a dramatic effect from this. Yeah. The air from it knocks people over, and, like, you have tables getting flipped. You have another cowboy who's not the cowboy on stilts tripping over a table and rolling into the grass. It is... It's an explosion. Uh, Hal, seeing this, grabs the, like, knife that was by the cake, and runs over and starts cutting it open to get the kids out. He, like, gets a little girl out and, like, still holding the knife, screams at her not to be scared. Yeah, there was a giant explosion, and now some crazy man is pointing a knife at your face. Don't be scared. Then he goes and he cuts Dewey out, and he, like, tries to tell Dewey not to be scared anymore. It's just a loud explosion. Uh, then it, like, cuts to Dewey's point of view, looking at Hal, and it's just, uh, reading in white noise. So apparently Dewey has been deafened by this. It was a loud explosion. Yeah. Then the episode ends with Malcolm like, looking, uh, through, like, a little mesh window, uh, in the deflated bouncy house. Uh, saying just once he wishes he could learn a life lesson without a massive explosion being involved. That's fair. And that's the end of the episode. Yep, that wraps it up. Let's go to our awards. Awards. Let's start with the A-plot of your heart. I thought about this one a lot, and uh, I I went with the A-plot, though. One, I love Hal, but also, while I can't stand Malcolm, 
in in his creepiness. <laughs> I love this sort of portrayal of Malcolm. And it, overall, I think it's so accurate of young misguided men and and boys in their first relationship i think there's it's it's definitely overstated in some areas but i think that makes for good comedy and good right portrayal of things but it's just so on point for so many people just because it didn't resonate with me as much as some episodes of this show does I think it was really good, and I think the acting was really well done in that plot, uh, as well as I just, I think there are, while I don't think everything in that plot line aged as well as it could have, I have seen that, like, similar plot lines to that that have aged much, much worse in other shows. Yeah. So I think they did it very well. Yeah, the the, the only thing that I don't think aged super well from uh, that Plotline as Lois's reaction. Uh, specifically, right. she uh, like multiple times refers to Sarah as a tramp. Yep, that's exactly what I was thinking of, actually. But I, I mean, for the most part, they did a pretty good job. Yeah. So kudos to them, and makes me love the the plotline as well as it's just it was very entertaining. It was very funny. Uh, fair enough. But I think the A-plot's actually my least favorite of these three. I think they're all very good, but it's my least favorite. Okay. My favorite is the F-plot. I figured it was going to be. Is weird and isolated. It feels completely disconnected from the episode as a whole, but I just, I, I love it so fucking much. It's hilarious. And it was my first pick until I started, like, analyzing the episode afterwards for the awards. And like I said, I, I just I I like the acting and the portrayal and everything. But as far as for sheer entertainment value, like if you were to take the three separate, yeah, no, I would watch the F plot over the other two any day. Yeah, like I, I don't I don't think any of my awards come from the F plot, but I, I just like at looking at it as a whole, like it, it just feels like a really good sketch. Yeah. Realistically is is essentially what it is. And uh, yeah, I, I just love every single time they go to it. It just entertains me so much. It's so funny. I I just love like the like the making fun of these tropes and, and the, the the like building up that they do. And you can just tell like so much happens in between like each one of these cuts, but they're like instantly summarized in one sentence. Yeah, I I love it. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a SNL skit, but good. Wow. Look, SNL <laughs> gets things right occasionally, but eh. But yeah, th- this does very much feel like, like I said, like a good sketch. And I, I am fine with that. I'm on board. Yeah, no, it- it's great. I I love it. I-, I can, I won't argue against you giving it the award. Moving on to our next award. What did you give your roller skating? Your award for the best visual moment. I had a couple, but I'm going to go ahead and give it to since I get to go first, uh, the Malcolm fight. Oh my God. I love it. And cause it's like, they managed to, the background isn't out of, it's not blurred, but it's not in focus. So it is legitimately the background to this shot. And you see Malcolm just come flying and tackle this kid and just these punches. And it is so good. I don't remember what Lloyd and Dabney say. It completely distracted me from the lines. 
It's so good. <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely one of those things that, that makes me glad that I watched these all twice. But because yeah, it, it is very hard to focus on what they're saying and pay attention to that background fight. Yeah, no, hundred percent. But I, <laughs> I love the way it looks. I love that you're viewing it like through a perspective where it's over the other boy's shoulders. So it's almost like I don't know. It's very mystery science theatery, or like viewing it through pillars or something. I don't know. It's just it's such a cool effect. Um, I like doing things like that in the background. That was also my first choice. But since you took that, I do also really like my backup, which is also Malcolm related. But it is that like uh, post breakup uh, scene where he's uh, specifically where they do an aerial shot looking down and. And they're all gathered around. Yes, he's in a circle of his peers, like, all just staring at him in his embarrassment. And then just one of them putting that coat over him. It's so good. And that was also my number two pick. Nice. <laughs> That's amazing. So good. Amazing. Uh, what did you give your hot dog with mustard on it award? Your award for the best line. I always struggle with this award. There's so many lines that make me laugh. But I, I think I gave it to this one, and it wasn't even the line that I think had me laugh the most, which is generally what I give it to. But I, I like the callback and just sort of the self-realization of Malcolm's ending line where he says, uh, just once I'd like to learn something without something blowing up. And it's it's just kind of a great look into Malcolm and and who he is and I also like the callbacks to you know the first season and I'm sure there was a spot in season two that I'm not remembering things blow up around Malcolm but yeah I mean regardless yeah I don't know I just I really that one I like that line a lot okay Uh, I went with the Hal line when Lois uh says that it's his fault Malcolm has this girlfriend because he bought uh acne medicine for Malcolm his reply is He's still goofy looking. His head's like five times too big for his body. That was a very good one. I love that. Hal's so amazing. Yes. And he's so savagely honest. Yes. I love it. It's great. Also, just such a good fucking dunk on his own kid. Yep. This feels like the, you know, emotional uh, equivalent of the Nards are, uh, the Nards are in play. Yeah, the Nards are fair game. And what did you give your OK Boomer Award? Your award for the moment that sets the episode firmly within its time of release. So I gave it to the pager that uh, Malcolm buys. And tries to give her, because, uh, wow. And this is right about the time where those uh, started to die out, but they were still prevalent enough you could go buy them, you could go get the ones with... I don't know if there was ever ones that would allow you to track like that. I don't think that was a thing. Well, yeah, to me, the implication there was just that, like, he could page her to, like, check in on where she is. Gotcha. Not, like, actually trash. I'm so used to modern technology that I 100% took it that way at first, and I was like, wow. But regardless of that, the idea of young people having a pager, to me, seems very rooted in this time. Because I do remember a... It didn't happen so much in our town because everyone was poor, but there were kids with pagers when we were kids around this age. Not many. Uh, cell phones kind of phased in quickly it's weird we went through this weird like anti-pager phase for a lot of families around here but then cell phones were fine but i do remember we had five or six people in in schools around here and people that i hung out with who had pagers and it was the weirdest thing in the world and 
I remember my next door neighbors, they wanted pagers around this time. Like that was the big cool thing. And they always got so mad because their dad would never let them have a pager. And I mean, this is only, you know, a few years, years out from uh, the iconic lie from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The apocalypse happens. Beat me. Yeah. Yeah. That's because this is what? This is still 2001, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, 100%. I'm 11 years old at this point. No, I didn't give a shit about a pager, but I still remember to this day, my neighbor girl threw a temper tantrum in her front yard uh, because she wasn't allowed to have a pager. Uh, it did not make sense to me then. It didn't make sense to me now. But uh, yeah, she she just thought that was going to make her cool. Yeah, fair enough. I, for my OK Boomer, in Dewey's description... <laughs> The, the, the reason we know his friend is rich is because he has a PlayStation and a Nintendo. That's right. And uh, specifically, uh, I feel like this is a good uh, benchmark, but because this is like right before the Xbox would come out and sort of get into the mix. That's uh, the, the like console generation before. Okay, I was going to say, wait, Xbox is still a couple of years out. Uh, it's actually fairly close, uh, because the PlayStation 2 would have come out in 2000, and the GameCube would have come out in, uh, like, literally 12 days before this episode aired. Right. And that's the same generation as the Xbox. I think it's only, like, a year out before the Xbox. Was it? I was thinking it was a couple years. I thought it was in 2003 for Xbox. Maybe, but even so, this is late 2001. That would only be a little more than a year. Fair. So I will look it up. I'm already on it. Uh, 2001 actually was original Xbox. Okay. Okay. I. Yeah, that's around where I thought. Huh. That's crazy. Also, it goes to show how disconnected from Xbox and Xbox culture I am because I legitimately, I don't remember hearing about an Xbox until way after this. Like the GameCube was the GameCube and PlayStation were the shit for me. I didn't never think about an Xbox. Yeah. Well, the Xbox, the original Xbox didn't do super well well it's part of why this is such a timestamp for me because like xbox at this point was still very much like the third like lame console in 2001 it was like oh you don't have a playstation or a you know a nintendo whether it be the nintendo 64 or the gamecube well like it's the the much lamer option that like almost no one seemed to have Whereas, obviously, by, like, the, even by the end of that console generation, Xbox had, like, very clearly risen to, like, a, a major console, and the next generation would, you know, arguably be a bigger deal. Yeah, that makes sense. Also, uh, continuing to dig, I think I realized, yep, okay, so I realized why this was such a disconnect for me, because I did not discover or play an Xbox until Halo 2 which came out in 2004. Yeah. So that is why, like, I, I knew what an Xbox was, but yeah, I w I've, Xbox is kind of around 13 for me, so 2003. That's probably when my brother got one, and then I started, like, religiously playing Xbox uh, for the two years that I had an Xbox in uh, 2004. No, I, I think Ryan actually had an Xbox earlier than that. We made fun of him quite a bit for having an Xbox... And he didn't have, like... Because we had PlayStations. Yeah, and, and the, he had, like, no games. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it's also where I played my first Elder Scrolls game, because he had Morrowind for the Xbox. And it did not work very well. It still doesn't. Yeah, which would be a trend with that series for me from then on. Well, with video games in general. 
How's your EA account going? Great. No problems at all, David. <laughs> okay, uh, moving on to our next award. Uh, who did you have as your favorite character? So, I <laughs> I had to give it to Hal. Okay. I love the knife where he just, his first thought when it explodes is to go start cutting it open to get the kids out. And then the scene with the little girl. I couldn't let this episode go by without at least giving Hal something. And I, I thought about, like, it almost, it was probably third for best visual moment for me. But I love that scene. And just the 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 way he's holding the knife and looking crazed as Hal tends to do. And it's pointing, like, right at her face. Don't be scared! I love it. And also, this is, again, a very relatable dad episode for Hal to me. It's just, it's so stereotypical dad vibes from Hal. <laughs> Fair enough. I love it. And uh, those two things combined make him my favorite for this. It was him or Francis. Okay. Uh, see, d- despite giving the F-plot my favorite plot line, I didn't even really consider Francis his favorite character because he doesn't really do or say so, anything. He's just an observer. So that's why he didn't get it from me is because I thought about him because I was like, oh man, I love this plot line. And I really, I would have watched a whole episode of just that. So I was like, oh, so, you know, he's clearly Francis is my favorite. But no, because I like his plot line for everyone else in it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I chose Stevie as my favorite character. Fair. Uh, he's, he's not in it a ton, obviously, but uh, I, I love, like, his uh, first introduction uh, to, in the episode. I, I love that he immediately calls Malcolm out both for, uh, like, not going after this girl that he's clearly obsessed with, and then also for his complaining. Boo. 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 <laughs> I love Stevie. Yes. I Fair. And I feel like this was an episode where everyone was good, but, but like, everyone just sort of had, like, one or two, like, really good moments. So I just sort of had to, like, l- look at who had, like, just my favorite moment, and it, w- it was that. Okay, fair. Uh, and who did you give your Cloris Leachman Award? Your award for the best acting. Uh, Frankie Muniz. As did I. I think he did an excellent job in this episode, especially being so young, to convey the type of things that he was. I think that he did an excellent job in these scenes, and I love his little mini freakouts. Um, I mean, obviously, they're no Hal freakouts, but this is young Frankie Muniz versus Brian freaking Cranston. You can't compare the two. But he really did well, and I think on par, like, given the, the age and, and skill gap, I think that he he did a very good job, and he definitely gave Brian Cranston a run for his money. Uh, yeah, the, the only thing I have to add is the, the thing that really cemented it for me is uh, sort of comparing two, like, moments and, and sort of looking at it as, as his range uh, with sort of the over-the-top, like, high-end being, you know, the uh, breakup moment, the, you know, streaming on his, he's, like, just this completely over-the-top dramatic side. Uh, and then on the sort of subtler side, the scene where he's uh, in the backyard with Sarah and he's, you know, talking to Cameron, he's very, like, calm and collected and, like, very, you know, clearly has his head on his shoulder about all these th- issues that he's had and all these problems just to the instantaneous snapping, asking, like, yelling at her about, is there another guy? Like, that was just such a good moment of, like, 
very subtle acting. Uh, and just that he's able to do both of those in this episode was just super impressive and really good. Yeah, no fair. Um, that just leaves our shittiest and least shitty kid. Who did you have as your least shitty kid? Reese. Okay. I, I can see that. Look, Francis broke the law and got arrested. Now, it's wow. a, hang on. It's okay. a dumb law, admittedly. But Francis was in jail and Reese wasn't. Yeah, that's pretty much it. And Reese really doesn't do anything super shitty in this. True. And I felt bad for him for being tricked into being attacked by dogs in the cold open yeah. by his brothers. I Reese does two things. And by resellers, they are not super shitty. But one, he immediately sells Malcolm. Shitty brother. That's, I mean. Two, he creepily watches Malcolm and his girlfriend make out from the roof. That's not, because it's his brother, it's not as creepy as it would be like otherwise. I'm not saying it's not creepy, but it's also super normal. No, no, no. Reese is too old for that to be normal. If Dewey was doing that, that's like weird kid stuff, whatever. Reese is in high school. No, that's creepy and weird. Get no, the fuck out the of here. Only, no, look, like the only difference from that in real life is he's would be throwing rocks or like screwing with you or something. Yeah, that would have made it much better to me. Yeah. This is creepy. Compared to Malcolm, no. Oh, agree. <laughs> agree. Reese not in contention for shittiest kid this episode. But I do think those things, and I do not at all hold Francis being put in this jail as a bad thing. Oh, so you're gonna vote you're gonna vote for Francis. I'm choosing Francis as least shitty kid. It seems obvious to me. He did nothing wrong. He got arrested. That doesn't mean he did anything wrong. Morality over legality, David. I don't even know who you are right now. What? <laughs> I, oh. I, I'm always, I've always been firmly within that camp. I, I believe acting ethically always should trump acting legally. Always. And I think when you have arbitrary laws like this, they, by your own admission, is a bullshit bad law. I have no moral issue with Francis Brigham. I don't think Francis did anything wrong. I mean, he could have told the sheriff. Told him what? Wow. Wow, Jake. Wow. He's minding his own business, David. Did nothing wrong. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You're, you would, you know what? Uh, also, in my mind, those are not real people. It hadn't even oh, occurred to me. <laughs> like, listen, those are soap opera characters, David. They are real people. The, the, the morality just doesn't apply to their stuff. Wow. Also, also, that sheriff wrapped up in some shady shit. Oh, I didn't say the sheriff was a good guy, but wow. Oh my god, I'm sorry, that, that killed me <laughs> when you said, oh, I don't think of them as real people. <laughs> I had so much I wanted to say to you. They're like an extra layer of like, you know, they're, they're, they're essentially like a TV show going on within the TV show in my mind. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I'm not going to try to sway you, because I know your mind is literally incapable of seeing rationality at this point <laughs> you've dismissed a whole subsection of people yeah which is daytime tv drama actors yeah. okay i i i was not expecting that and i love it okay um well sure okay you have your thoughts okay well let's move on to shittiest kid. this one hurts did you make the correct choice i i did you choose dewey what Dewey? Yes, obviously. Dewey. Yeah. 
he finally had a good birthday party over Malcolm, the creepy stalker controller? Yes. He literally bought a pager to try to control her every waking movement. He timed when she got places, went and waited outside the bathroom for her. Like, he was talking, well, the feet thing, okay, whatever, that doesn't make him bad, it's just weird. But he was creepy, psycho, stalker, controlling, absolutely awful. Agreed. He's a close second. Dewey in this episode is horrific. He is a monster. I wouldn't call him a monster. I would call him very close to shitty. Uh, that Reese energy's really soaking in, and he... He really pulled a Wilkerson moment on this, his new friend. His only friend. Yep. Did he do bad things? Yes. Does it surprise me, given his environment? Sadly, no. But I just, I don't see him stalking anyone. No, but he is lying, manipulating, ruining the, the, putting this poor kid in the exact situation that, that he has very clearly experienced multiple times with not even an ounce of any empathy or human emotion when he stares that other kid dead in the eye when he says you ruined my birthday it just says i've had two sundays and four uh uh what well, well, the other fucking things snow cones yes that's yeah. chilling wow this moment much more than anything that happened in the episode I, I'm going to be going hearkening back to here, convinced, like, gives credit to Eric's uh, Dewey is a sociopath theory. Whoa! No. Dewey is not a sociopath, and Eric needs to just be gone with that. Yeah, in general, I agree, but this behavior in this episode, that I feel like that's the strongest evidence we've had thus far for that. I can't even defend Dewey at this point. Look, I chose Dewey. <laughs> But the minute you went on your little tirade there, I I knew that I had to at least get you, you know, fired up so you could make your passionate plea against Dewey. But yeah, no, I, I in reality, while I think Malcolm is horrible and equally as evil as Dewey, I can't choose both. You've never let me do that. So I went with Dewey, and the only thing that tipped him as above the scale in in my mind as as of being worse than Malcolm is yes the fact that there was no remorse for his actions even after the bounce castle exploded yeah and, and Malcolm seems like at least on the surface it seems like Malcolm may have learned something of a lesson from this whereas Dewey very clearly did not yeah, no, and that's the only thing uh legitimately that's the reason I chose Dewey over Malcolm because I, I think that Dewey's actions were bad. I'm not defending that. I'm not saying that Dewey Perfect Angel acted as a perfect angel in this episode. But my point is, is that while lying and manipulation are bad, they're also at least skills somewhat. Stalking is incredibly dangerous and horrible. And I, it, I don't know why. And I know it shouldn't be that way. But it's one of those behaviors that makes my blood boil like Fair. i am i i do not advocate violence often but if like i find that someone is stalking another person like all i want to do is just drag them into a white van and take them into a room and just like lock them up and stay there till they 
figure out what the fuck's wrong with themselves. Yeah, and I, I would also be much harsher on Malcolm if he was a little older or a little more, like, experienced romantically. Like, th- this feels much more like a, you know, this is a kid who doesn't understand dating less than, like, this is a, like, super, like, toxic, dangerous person. Yeah, I know he's not supposed to be an actual stalker in this, but he exhibits all the behavior. Yeah, if, like, an adult character in a show did the exact same things, Malcolm, then, yeah, I'd be on fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah. Train. Yeah, no, 100%. So... Uh, but uh, I also just want to say, you know, you've really undermined the legitimacy of this podcast by, you know, having your choice and then e- even for a moment just pretending to make a different choice. That's really just underhanded. Jacob, you have literally switched and then shown me after an episode. I hate you so much. Wow. Wow. And now you're making unfounded accusations? The only reason it's not in the episode is because you're the editor and not me. I hate you. I'm I just saying this kind of this kind of behavior. You're on thin ice. You're on probation. No, I'm not. I hate how much you're cackling right now. You are. I'm very serious. I don't know what you're talking about. You better be very serious. Okay, well, that wraps up our awards, but we have a couple segments left. Let's start with the Cranston Connection, David. All right. So I I found a couple things that maybe could have been a connection, but there was one thing that stood out beyond everything else and i think that what we're seeing is the next evolution of the trauma that is why walter white does not like parties it started with lois's birthday and the reaction and the events there uh caused him to dislike birthday parties specifically and now you have this explosion at this birthday party and he's thinking that he has to save his children and he's cutting open this this tent and having trouble finding them and then when he does find Dewey, he's deafened. I think that this is another sort of nail in that coffin of making what will be Walter White, who dislikes parties until he starts selling meth and goes crazy. But, you know, he, he doesn't like birthday parties. He really wishes people wouldn't throw them for him. And uh, I get it. And it makes sense because he has a lot of memories that come flooding back. Okay. Solid work, David. Thanks. And you also had some solid work in our last segment, David's Guessing Game. Yay! Because your prediction for this week was that, uh, you know, upon getting a girlfriend, Malcolm would ignore everything else, including his schoolwork, and that uh, that would suffer, that he would ignore and blow off the Krellboins, who would be disappointed and upset with him, but because he's, you know, focusing exclusively on this girlfriend, who he would become, like, hyper-obsessed with, uh, which is all true. Yeah. I, for the first time, I am going to give you a 100%, David. Wow. Did it, guys. I got an A. Good job. And for next week, what do you think happens in charity? I think that Lois is going to force the boys into some sort of charity. I don't know if it's going to be like something connected to like like one of those like church bake sales that they used to do. Back in the day, maybe like community service, but I don't know how prevalent that was around this time. My knowledge of that really starts later, but something like that, maybe like a soup kitchen or something. One of the, I feel like it's definitely going to be like one of those three 
like some sort of community. I think it's going to have to be community based because I think Lois is going to get fed up with them. And I think it's got to be that, right? Uh, do, you, do you think like Abed and Troy are going to show up or? No, I hate you so much. Um, Because the only other thought that I have for charity is that they're going to be put in some sort of situation where they end up robbing the char- a charity like accidentally i don't think that's where the episode's gonna go though but i think those are the only two options is you know lois is gonna make the boys do some sort of like good in the community because she's fed up with them or they're gonna be put in a situation where they accidentally rob a charity okay and yeah that's really all i've got could they go back to longer titles it really gave me more to work with nope it's all one word titles from here on out uh, I know that's not true, but also it would be it would be my luck. Okay, well that wraps this episode up. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can reach us by email where we are lifeisunfairpod at gmail.com or on Twitter where we are unfair underscore podcast, which is also where we put up our weekly shittiest and least shitty kid poll. And if you want to join us live, you can head on over to twitch.tv slash lpdeathray, where we stream video games, interact with the community, and have a good time. Thanks for listening, and remember, life is unfair.